What was that song you were singing before when we first got on? Um, you like God. made up a new bop. I make up a lot of new bops. Um, oh shit! I know what you're talking about. <laughs> as soon um, as we got on the call, you were like singing. Yeah, yeah, because that's just kind of what I do. And normally, it's it's covers of popular songs that have been rewritten for my cats. I mean, that's um, that's just standard pet parent activity, right there. Oh yeah, yeah. La- the latest was um, rewriting the Mickey "You're So Fine" from "Bring It On" yeah, for Felix. <laughs> What do you mean and from it bring it on? It surprisingly works. Well, it's not just from bring it on, but that's where people are generation. Tony, and generation Tony Basil. Is yes. That Tony yes, Basil? yes, yes, yes. No, that's it. That's it. Look at me. If it's not, then that's fine too. Remember but my 80s sounds history. Sounds right to me. Yep. Um, but no, what was it? I was like, let's get it going. Let's get it going. Let's get it no, going. No, it was hit the button. <laughs> oh, that was it. Yes, it was let's hit the button. Let's hit the button. Let's hit the button. Let's hit the button. That's going to be our new theme song, yeah. so get ready. Yeah, just just that. Forget the new theme song. That's just going to be every episode from now on. It's just an hour of that. Oh, don't you just want to tune in? Yeah. <laughs> Two. <gasps> Crime culture. <laughs> Yes, the the Let's Hit the Button podcast. Yep. Um, I'm Haley. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at you. Yeah, you could have you could have saved it. I'm Haley's friend, I- co-host. <laughs> <laughs> one um, time, I- one of my best friends. I'm sorry, Taylor. One of my best friends, Taylor, <laughs> introduced himself to our friend Tim's aunt as Tim. It was hilarious. That's great. That's it's great. my favorite story. I love Taylor. <laughs> I love that, and I love Taylor. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I'm Caitlin. Yeah, you right. are. Second Look time's the charm. Yeah, you're Haley. I am. <laughs> I'm Haley's friend. Yes. Uh, <laughs> In the words of uh, um, Corey from Boy Meets World, mm-hmm. I'm either uh, I'm either Sean's friend. Um, what's his name's brother? What's, what's Eric's the brother? brother? Eric's you brother it, or Hey Kid Move? Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say More Will because Will Fredell's the voice, of it, yeah. the, not the voice, the actor. But I hear their podcast lately, so. I'm and used a to... quick pet peeve about that: I keep hearing, um, on the radio that people apparently still listen to, um, what do you call it? Uh, like commercials for that yeah. podcast because it's on iHeartRadio and yep. iHeartRadio yep. owns pretty yep. much every radio station here in the U.S. And whoever is doing the the ads for this uh-huh. is clearly just like reading off a paper and being like, this is fine because she keeps calling him Will Friedel. Yeah. I'm pretty and sure it's Will Friedel. He introduces himself at the beginning of every episode. Well, forget that. Nobody remembers the glow stick thing with the, with the Disney channel. I'm Will Friedel and you're watching Disney channel because like, listen, that's how I know most of these. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, this is a different podcast. Yes, this is this is a different <laughs> podcast. This is on a different subject. This is quite a different tone from the Boy Meets World rewatch podcast. Uh, yeah. This we're talking episode, about that you've never yeah. heard of this case I, before. I haven't. I haven't, and I can't quite even remember the name of it, even though you told me two seconds ago. We're going to be talking um, about Marvin Hemeyer and his killdozer. Yeah, which I kept calling the murder demo, demo murder, demo, demo murder, demo murder. Yeah, um, it's not wrong. I mean, it's just not accurate. 
<laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, are we jumping right in? We got no- nothing else to talk about up top. We're good. Not that I can think of. I mean, I, listen. It's I've had I've had a week. It's been I I've been working a lot. And everybody's so, working for the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend, and so I just have not fully refreshed my brain quite yet. Perfect. Um, Sin recommended that we dip our fries in ice cream, and I responded I with, it. "You don't know Wendy's." But you dip a fry in a Wendy's Frosty, and that's a religious experience. I disagree wholeheartedly, but that's you're, a that's a fight for a different to your podcast. Wrong opinion. Yeah, sure. That's another that's that's another podcast we'll be starting. Yeah, you can fight about fries and ice cream, and I can fight about cheese. You're wrong. The <laughs> yeah, world loves so cheese. You. Whatever. Do they though? <laughs> so. We're going to be talking about, like I said, Marvin Heemeyer. So mm. the story of Marvin Heemeyer's uh, rampage starts with the small town of Granby, Colorado. And okay. Granby is less than 100 miles northwest of Denver and 20 miles from Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's home to around 2,000 people, which is okay. just... I live in a town that is two square miles and it's mm-hmm. about 10,000 something people. Granby is approximately 12.7 square miles with 2,000 people, so wow. it is very spread out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're in Granby, there are a couple of banks, a concrete plant, an electrical co-op, and a few businesses that cater to the main draw of the town, which is tourism. Mm-hmm. Granby is a great option if you're interested in seeing the Rockies but want to stay away from the crowds to the south. Author Patrick Brower says, quote, it's not like a boutique tourism town like Aspen or Vail. It's not really like that at all. It's a mix between that and just a service town. So there are like a bunch of really cute restaurants. There's um, like different hotels you can stay at. I saw a bunch on um, like Google Maps. I did one of those like little walkthroughs of the town. Looks really cute. Yeah. But for the people that live in Granby, it's a classic small town where mostly everybody knows each other and their families. Brower said, quote, there's new people coming and going a lot there, but it definitely has its good old boy local element as well, an element that Marv really tried to capitalize on, end quote. And okay. if you live in one of these lots of, I'm sure lots of our listeners will live or have lived in towns like this, mm-hmm. small towns, everybody knows everybody's business. And yep. it's hard to keep anything secret or to yourself yep. that is yep. not already going to be gossiped on. Yep. So Meyer is a South Dakota native. He was a young Air Force welder stationed in Colorado. And once he got out of the Air Force, he decided to stay and make Grand Lake his home. Throughout the 1990s, Meyer owned a welding and muffler repair shop in the neighboring Granby, Colorado. He actually mm-hmm. owned a few muffler shops in the northern Denver area and was all around a pretty successful business owner. Yeah, in the documentary that I'm going to talk about later called Tread, most people only really had good things to say about his quality of work. They said he was like a wizard of a welder. He was fantastic. Um, actually, most townspeople and friends interviewed made specific points to talk about how great of a person he was. He was seemed to be very smart, caring, and giving. And he always just seemed to have a pretty good life. He went on road trips with his girlfriend. He would go sm- snowmobiling with his friends. They actually, they called themselves the Thursday group because they would take off most Thursdays, like a bunch of guys, they would take off and they'd go riding together. Mm. And he just made a really comfortable living doing something that he loved and he was really great at. And you're uh, using seemed a lot. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> somebody with a different disposition probably would have been totally fine with this. Um, but he seemed to have quite a large ego and uh, seemed to think a lot of himself. Um, and really, the problems with him started with his land. So he purchased the two acres of land that his shop was on in 1992 from Resolution Trust Corporation at a foreclosure auction. Mm-hmm. Also at this auction was a man named Cody Docheff, who was the owner of Mountain Park Concrete. And Docheff was looking for land to open a batch plant facility with his friend and someone who's going to help finance the endeavor, Gus Harris. Mm-hmm. But allegedly Harris wasn't willing to go over $50,000 for the property, so Hemeyer won the bid. Although I think Hemeyer actually paid $42,000 for the property, which I want to throw up because he bought two acres of land for $42,000. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, um, but anyway, I'm going to talk like he versions of events seem to be probably a little skewed in mm. some ways. Um, there's probably different um, opinions on what happened at different points. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about this throughout the episode, but he recorded pretty much a manifesto um on tapes that uh i will be quoting multiple times uh it's quite rambling and i listen to i won't say all of them i listen to most of them it's hours long and they oh. are posted online uh he's kind of a douchebag so i mm-hmm. didn't care to listen to every word because he kind of just talks in circles but uh, he Meyer said in his tapes that he was approached by Dochef, who he described as, quote, about the rudest, most arrogant person, just a fucking asshole, end quote. He says Dochef yelled at him for about 10 minutes after the auction because he had won the property that Dochef wanted. Mm. Um, but Dochef denies this conversation ever took place. In fact, Gus Harris denies that he and Dochef ever discussed even purchasing the property and said after a few bids, they just left. They left the oh, auction. Wow. They didn't speak to anybody. So... That's where we're going to start to see, like, Kemeyer thinks things happen different. Not saying that there wasn't, maybe there was a conversation, maybe there were a couple bad words, maybe yeah. someone took something in a different way than it was meant to be. We've all had those kind of arguments, but right. Um, the real trouble starts here. So, Kemeyer's new property was pretty much just an empty 3,000 square foot building and a concrete mixer tank that was holding the sewage on the property. So this needed to be tied into the local sewer and water if you're going to occupy this space. Mm -hmm. At the meeting with the board, Kemeyer came up against a man named Ron Thompson, who was on the board representing the sewer district. And Mm -hmm. it's possible that Kemeyer who was seemingly used to being an alpha male, like he was kind of always like, the leader in all of his little groups and everything and very looked up to at a certain point. I think he was, he, he was fantastic at welding. Everyone will say he was fantastic. So I think he probably took a lot of that to the head and was like, well, I'm fantastic at this. Everyone needs to look up to me. So it's, it's probable that at this meeting, he was frustrated with Thompson taking kind of leadership of this and, uh, he Meyer didn't really want to answer to anybody. So when he was being told to do something, he probably could have taken it the wrong way. Right. Um, but Thompson told He Meyer that his buildings was hundreds of feet away from the sewer main. So to tie into the system, he would need a costly service line that allegedly could be anywhere between sixty and eighty thousand dollars. Oh my god. Yeah. Um 
which is more than he paid for the property yeah seemingly um but if you're going to occupy the space you need to be tied into the local sewer and water like that's just Mm -hmm. how it works yeah and i will say i work in a job that is very closely related to a lot of the events that's going to happen so like i have like it's been talked about in my office before like other oh. other people in my office have seen this this documentary that uh, that i'm going to talk about oh, wow. and uh there's been a lot of discussion of like like we better watch our backs because if there's a disgruntled person like maybe something like this could happen to us and it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility that something like this could happen. I was going to say, you've dealt with some some pretty... I've got some crazy stories, but... Attitudinal people. Yeah, but nothing like <laughs> this. We're going to yeah, get to it. That so, we know of. Yeah, so Hemeyer refused to put in this service line. Hi, Bean. <laughs> <laughs> and he seemingly went on to assign partial blame of the rampage to Thompson, saying in his tapes, quote... I never had anybody sit there and plan to cut me out of an opportunity like the Thompsons did when they denied me access to their sanitation district. It doesn't make any sense other than it was the good old boys patting each other on the back. Had they not done that, I can assure you the outcome, the whole thing would have been completely different, end quote. Which is a bold statement. And also he says, he says specifically that the Thompsons cut him out of accessing the sanitation system, which I don't think... It, the the way the documentary spoke about it, they just said, like, it's going to cost you this amount of money to be able to tie into the system. They yeah. didn't say you cannot tie into the system. They just said it is expensive. So I don't know right. if Hemeyer thought the town was going to pay for it or, like, what? But, like, you bought the property. To him. Like, y- yeah. you were saying that, like, he's got this ego. Yeah. I mean, like- again, I didn't read through the minutes of this meeting because they happened in like <laughs> 1992. So I wasn't going to try to go dig and find the minutes from a 1992 uh, meeting in a small town in Colorado. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know exactly what was said. But as far as my experience goes, if you're being told that you need to tie into a system, no one's going to say that you no one's going to deny you that yeah. access. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the situation was here, but it seems like there's two differing views on it. Okay. And a little background on the Thompsons a little bit. So the Thompson family was described by Patrick Brower, who wrote the book about Hemeyer, as a quote-unquote legacy family. And they mm-hmm. had been living and working in Granby for generations. Two of the brothers, Larry and Gary, yes, it's stupid that their names <laughs> rhyme, but whatever, <laughs> owned an excavation company i think it was originally their father's and then they probably like inherited it and started working there and ron obviously was on the board Mm -hmm. and their father dick thompson had been mayor of granby so this is a very involved family in the town Hemeyer believed that the Thompsons were out to get him along with cody docheff and gus harris he believed the worst in his neighbors saying quote It's the kind of community that in order for you to get ahead, you have to keep your neighbor down. It's not build yourself up on your own merit. It's tear the other guy down, end quote. He thought that because he wasn't originally from Granby, that the local families were constantly trying trying to drive him away. This just just sounds like paranoia to me, though. This sounds like... Yeah, it does sound like he's a little paranoid. And also, like, I feel like a lot of this could be uh fixed by asking one of those guys out to go for a beer or something have one of them come snowmobiling with you like 
maybe try to ingratiate yourself within the yes. town but he just wanted to be immediately like, accepted yeah immediately accepted or like looked up to i guess yeah which i mean i'm sorry baby that's not how that works yeah it's not how any of this works so in his tapes he meyer describes how in 1998 the town spot zone the two acres directly south of his land and dochef purchased it to finally build that concrete plant that he was planning to mm -hmm. um he meyer says that this was directly to fuck with him Reportedly, he was pissed that the land was sold because he actually used that piece of property as a cut through to get back to his house, like as a, like a little shortcut. Mm -hmm. um, but Hemeyer stirred the pot with the neighboring properties and brought supporters against the plant to three or four zoning meetings in the summer of 1999 with complaints about potential dust, noise, traffic, and questions about what this plant would do to the water supply so he basically like went to like neighboring residences and businesses and was like hey they're planning on building this plant like i don't think they should for xyz reason like come to this meeting and like fight with me against this plant yeah but there were i mean that's how board meetings go there's people yeah. that that oppose and then there are people that are for and there were a lot of people that were for the plant because it would bring in jobs it would be great to have like concrete made in that town like mm -hmm. that some people were for it and then obviously there were some against it but ultimately the plant was approved with a quote host of conditions end quote and at the meeting he pr promised to fight them the whole way but in reality, one of the members on the board at the time said in the documentary that Hemeyer actually made the whole deal better for the town. When he oh, would wow. come to the meetings and raise an issue that they hadn't thought about, like dust coming from the plant, they would bring it up and they would discuss a solution on it. So many of the contingencies that were written into the Dochef's approval were from points that Hemeyer himself had raised. So he was like, well, what about dust? Well, what about water supply issues? Well, what about this? And then they would say, okay, Dochef, what about that? How can we address this and how can we fix this? And be like, okay, well, we'll do this. So everything that he brought up was going to be addressed. Yeah. But I and don't he think he... could have taken credit for that. He could have taken credit for that. But also, I don't think he cared. He just did not like Cody Dochev. Yeah. So he didn't want him to have the plant there. Yeah. Well, and I think that it goes along with what you were saying before, that like it wasn't like he wanted the land originally it wasn't what he wanted to do it wasn't his idea for what to do with the land and so therefore he was yeah. like okay then i'm gonna put an cause end to this. yeah yeah cause us think about it so meanwhile Hemeyer has been occupying his shop for quite some time without tying into the sewer and water and he was he went to court and was found in violation so he was going to be forced to install the over 400 foot of feet of line and um, he couldn't occupy his building until he did. Mm -hmm. But now there was a problem. There was a property in the way of getting the line to the main. And the property was owned by Cody Dochev. <laughs> Dochev allegedly denied the easement Hemeyer needed to run the line through his property. But author Patrick Brower said that Dochev called Hemeyer and agreed to the easement if Hemeyer dropped a lawsuit that he had filed against him and the town. But Hemeyer just hung up. Like, he wouldn't accept it. But he, he Meyer told all of his friends and said in, like, the tapes and everything that that Dochef wouldn't let him do it. And that's why he, he wasn't going to do it. 
but he it was a pride thing at this point i believe that he was too proud to be able to do it so he continued to work at his property while being fined a hundred dollars a day for not complying with the violation oh my god uh that's not weird because we have in my office have uh fined people upwards of two thousand dollars a day for not complying (gasps) with an order yeah like that shit adds up yeah oh my god (laughs) that's the point uh but so like one thing that i didn't write down but it's in the it's in the documentary is that he just wrote like he knew he was being fined so he just wrote out a check and just <gasps> brought it down to the town and it was like for three thousand something dollars for like hundred dollars a day whatever oh and God. um the town clerk had to like call him because like you know how when you write out a check you write the number and then you have yeah. to write out the words yeah so he fucked up the words didn't match the number that he wrote so like the the town mm-hmm clerk had to like call him and be like this check isn't gonna work so he freaked out and like come down and he had to like rewrite out the check and uh that's a situation i've been in before <laughs> was that do you think that was by design like do you think he did that to buy himself more time no because it wasn't gonna buy himself time because he he was gonna have to pay that violation regardless it didn't matter whatever yeah i mean to buy time though for them to cash the check Oh, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like how if like you don't have like, for example, I used to work for a shitty employer and they'd be like, hey, there's not enough money in the account. So can you not cash your check until this day? Oh, yeah. Like, and they'd like backdate checks or something like that. Yeah. I mean, no. Or this forward date whatever nannying. it is. Yeah. This was nannying. So there was none of that. It was just yeah. like, hey, if you want to still be employed. Um, it but, could, and maybe it could have or maybe he was just so pissed while he was writing it that he didn't yeah that he the, just the words with rage or whatever yeah. phrases yeah uh but he saw this whole violation and fine thing as another example of how the town was attacking him because he wasn't from there and they were protecting a quote-unquote legacy family so his paranoia is just building and he's he's creating his own reasons of why all this is happening honestly so the, sorry no it's just just stupid he's just a huge pain i'm gonna quote more of his tapes and he's just a fucking whiny piece of shit it's so stupid and he is a whiny piece of shit but i all i can really think about is because i've known people who obviously do not go to the lengths that presumably this dude is going to go to but very much like chip on their shoulder because of the legacy like bullshit and bureaucracy and all of that and like just i can't help but be like those the like the women in those legacy families must be like so thankful because i feel like if he was of sounder mind i mean not sound mind but sounder mind mm-hmm. he would have just married into one of those families and that would have solved his like chip on his shoulder with the legacy issue maybe i don't know or i think you know what i think he would always feel like an outsider he'd always feel yeah. like the black sheep no matter what happened he could have been probably fucking made mayor and he would have had some type of chip on his shoulder i just wish i i would love to understand people like this but anyway yeah. so the Dochefs were moving along with their plant application when Hemeyer came to a meeting with an attorney and he and this attorney claimed that they had caught the board in a mistake, which caused the board to reconsider. And ultimately, they said, OK, we're starting this application from square one. We're going to make sure all our I's are dotted, our T's are crossed, everything. So that way, uh, Hemeyer can't come back with this attorney and sue the town and make a bunch of money, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this he had previously filed a lawsuit against the proposed plant in a district court um, as he watched 
pretty much work trucks arriving to the site from his property. Um, and the judge dismissed the suit. And Hemeyer believed that his attorney was only in it for the paycheck, adding just another person he believed that was out to get him. Oh, Which is is stupid because like the attorney said that they they weren't going to help Hemeyer with a um, like refiling, um, mm-hmm. like a, another another lawsuit. And Hemeyer was like, this guy's just in it for the money. He's not here to help me at all. And I'm like, if he was in it for the money, he would have filed another suit because you are going to continue to pay him. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. No, but none of this makes sense. The whole everybody's out to get me doesn't make sense. And also to be completely honest, if I'm at the service of somebody, I'm not always doing it out of the goodness of my heart. Chances are I'm probably, yes, doing it for a paycheck because it's a job and that's what it should be. (laughs) Yes, but that's, yeah, that's the thing. That gets, it gets such a bad rap, but it's like, oh, you should want to do this. It's not just... Sometimes it shouldn't just be about money. Yeah, that'd be great, but that's but not. But most of the time, it feasible. is just for the money. Yeah, yeah. Because I need money to live. Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, so here's where it gets bad. While sitting, oh, here's in where his, it gets bad. Yeah. Well, this is where <laughs> it fucking kicks off. This is where so while, the demo murders. <laughs> not quite yet. While sitting in his hot tub drinking a beer, which is how all as you do nefarious plans come mm-hmm. into life, <laughs> Hemeyer said that's when the idea hit him. He said, quote, a peace came over me where I knew God wanted me to do it. Oh, my quote. God. And he, he's going to assign some pretty shitty shit to God later. <laughs> so get ready. In the tapes, he runs in circles saying how he wished it could have been different, but it had to be done. Uh, it also sounded like Hemeyer's main gripe with the ruling was that he had lost. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't that like that they were actually building the plan or like something. It was he saw it as lost and yeah. won and yeah. he had lost and it deeply hurt his ego and he seemed to increase his paranoia as we have been saying that people were out to get him and he claimed that when he saw town board members around that they would quote snicker at me after they knew i lost end quote I'm sure that's what which they were doing. i'm sure they weren't yeah, i'm sure they I'm weren't saying. i'm being sarcastic <laughs> i'm sure they weren't even looking in his direction yeah but whatever so over the years dochev actually offered to buy he Meyer's land um and they came to a price of 250k, which was six times what Hemeyer had paid for yeah. it. Yeah. And Dochev agreed to this amount. Hemeyer immediately backed out and countered with 375k. Oh my god. Dochev agreed to this number also, but then Hemeyer backed out again. So he was he was doing it just to fuck with them. Yeah. Being like, well, how much can I bring this up? Like, how how badly do you want this? He needed to have the upper hand at every point. Yeah. That's that's who he is as a person. Soon, Hemeyer just put his shop and its contents, including the bulldozer that I'm going to get to, up for auction. Hemeyer said in his tapes that it was a, quote, sign from God, end quote, Mm -hmm. that he should move forward with his plan when, after the auction, only two items were left, the dozer and the property. He also claims that he would have scrapped his entire plan if someone had bought them for $450,000, but after the price battle that he had with Dochev, I think he would have just kept hiking that price up. Yeah. And would have said, like, well, now it's 500000 Now yeah. it's this. That so, sounds entirely possible. Yeah. In one of his tapes, he might have said, quote, basically what all this is going to prove when it's all over with, if it's ever all over with, which I doubt, it's going to prove, I hope it's going to prove to people that meddling in your neighbor's business is destructive for the most part. It's going to come back to haunt you, and it can come back to haunt you in spades. And the only person you have to blame is yourself, end quote. 
also by building another facility on a different piece of property how is that fucking with your business i don't understand it wasn't another muffler shop it wasn't another welding shop it was a shop completely separate from what you were doing owned by a person you didn't like Mm -hmm. and then you came up with excuses of why you thought that they shouldn't have their business there yeah that is what i've gathered from all of the research that i've done if there is a different if there's a different point of view i'm willing to listen to it but as far as i have been able to read and watch that's what it boiled down to yeah he's just being a petty spaghetti yes exactly i like that you're welcome i love you also one of the most gross uh things he said in his tapes was quote i just want to say in advance god bless me in advance for the tasks that i am about to undertake okay no no like can we stop using deities to excuse shitty behavior oh no he he fully says this is god's plan god told me i need to do this the the, is he drake like this is he was like he was like the shop and the bulldozer did not sell how else was god going to speak to me than telling me that i should move forward and like he if you listen to the tapes he just assigns god like like no one saw the bulldozer while i was working on it so god wanted me to keep doing it it was it's wild well and wild stuff as you say that it's it's funny how he also like he has this air of self-importance that god would specifically talk to him choose him to talk to like that oh well god doesn't appear to everybody and blah 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 yeah but what about children but like he's special enough that he's got a one-way like private line but what about the the counter argument that he he wasn't able to successfully fight against the plant god must have wanted that Uh concrete plant to be there Uh because he had failed multiple times but in his view god will never let him fail yeah he needs to succeed at everything he does when i was in catholic school I didn't get much out of it, but one thing that I did get out was I had a teacher who said that people will say that God either answers their prayers or he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I have since come to believe that God is a she, but for this particular, to to be whatchamacallit, um, in line with what this teacher was teaching. Um, But so the teacher was like, in actuality, it's god always answers your prayers it's just sometimes the answer is no or not Mm. yet Mm -hmm. and so few people will accept that will yes will accept (laughs) that and will think about that and like like in bruce almighty like how he's got he gets all those emails and like it it can sometimes be things that are directly in conflict with one another yes and so you can't just say you gotta say yes or no like it's just uh that's the way it is yeah if if everybody's prayers were answered if everything everybody wanted was answered then obviously like it's not going to make everybody happy because some people wish for the opposite things yeah we'd be living in the purge yeah but anyway so Hemeyer eventually did sell his property he sold it for four hundred thousand dollars to travis Bousset of the granby trash company and mm-hmm. i think he was able to do that because it wasn't one of the people that he was directly that he directly ah, disliked yeah it was it was a completely outside person 
So and he, he probably was, felt a kinship if it was a if it was a completely outside person. Well, I don't know if this was one of those people that has always lived in Granby, oh, but okay. it was it was the guy that owns the the trash company, and they needed a place to put their trash trucks in the winter season. And he so, probably felt a kinship because maybe. this guy worked with trash. He was trash. Maybe so there was the kinship there. <laughs> but Brower said almost immediately, possibly within 24 hours after the sale, Busey had the property hooked up to sewer and water. So it was like, <gasps> dude, you could have done this from the fucking jump. Yeah. And then like maybe you could have ingratiated yourself into the town. But it came oh one God. of those like legacy things. He was already so good at welding that like people specifically went to him for yeah. help and stuff. And like all of his friends that he would go uh, snowmobiling yeah. with, they all had um, like a Hemeyer bumper is what they called it, which Hemeyer would weld this like front piece onto all the guys like snowmobiles so they could like go over small trees and like stuff like that. Oh, and nice. like, it was like a thing that everybody like really liked and really sought after. So like he was looked up to, people liked him. Yeah, and legacies he... have to start somewhere. Exactly. So I he was unhinged yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So Hemeyer ended up renting the space inside his old shop to work on the bulldozer. And mm. this is where we get to the more nefarious part. So Hemeyer had purchased the Komatsu D355A bulldozer from California in July of 2002. And he had it delivered to his shop in the tread. They talk about how it was delivered like kind of in like the dead of night that like he, maybe he wanted to be like secret secret about it. Mm -hmm. But for over a year, he had it parked on the access road to his shop facing out towards the Dochef property with a for sale sign attached. And this is a fucking gigantic bulldozer. Mm -hmm. It is like three inches shy of 12 feet tall. Like it is huge. Mm -hmm. And one of Hemeyer's friends said in tread that, um, that he did purchase it to intimidate Dochev. Like he purchased it to park it there and to face it out towards his property and intimidate him, which yeah. I don't think worked, but whatever. So when it didn't sell at this auction that he had, he moved it into the shop and spent most of 2003 secretly working on this project. He said he would work on it all night and often slept in the shop during the day. He didn't want anyone to know what he was doing with it, even though like people probably couldn't have guessed what would ultimately happen. Right. But he ended up adding armored plates covering most of the cabin, engine, and parts of the track. Oh. He created these ar he created this armor himself using concrete mix poured between sheets of steel. <gasps> so it was like a sheet of steel, concrete, another sheet of steel. Yeah, nothing's getting through that. And that means that he's like planning for the worst. Yes. As the armor covered much of the cabin, video cameras were mounted to the exterior for visibility, covered by three-inch pieces of bulletproof plastic. He even thought ahead, knowing that the cameras would get covered in dust and debris during the rampage, that he rigged compressed air so that he could trigger it to clean the lens. Oh, my God. Yes. Inside the makeshift cockpit were monitors on which Hemeyer could observe the destruction and steer so he knew where what direction he was going in. Right. There were also fans and an air conditioner to keep him cool. Finally, he fashioned three gun ports and outfitted them with a 50 caliber rifle, a 308 semi-automatic rifle, and a 22 long rifle. According to the authorities, once he'd sealed himself inside the cockpit, it would have been impossible for him to have gotten out, and they don't believe he ever wanted to. Oh, wow. In March 2004, Hemeyer's father passed away, and he went up to South Dakota for the funeral. Prior to his death, Hemeyer had given his father most of his money and possessions. He had already made the plan with the dozer, and he relinquished his cabin in Grand Lake, his beloved snowmobiles, 
and the 400,000 he got from selling the property. He even broke up with his girlfriend over a fight. She was like a smoker. Uh, she had like quit for nine years and then she like would secretly like sneak a cigarette every once in a while and they got into a huge fight over this and broke up and in the documentary they're like do you think they did that do you think he did that to make it easier so that he didn't have anything mm. and i think he was probably just trying to distance himself from everything from everyone so that he didn't have anything left because he he specifically talked about in his tapes that he had no possessions he was he he had given everything away this bulldozer and this plan was the only thing he was going to do but like that's the thing too is nobody and, and i'm not trying to blame here but it's it, it 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 just blows my mind that nobody like for example he sold all of his snowmobiles and the thursday club or the thursday boys or whatever they are um that they weren't like oh well that's out of character well and he did say i don't know how how early he sold everything but he did say that he took the winter of 2003 off quote unquote from working on the bulldozer that he just spent it snowmobiling with his friends his friends in the documentary said that uh they were together the month before mm -hmm. uh everything went down and they were talking about like his plans for the summer like what he was going to so like his friends were like he was making plans like he was he he had stuff that he was looking forward to and i don't know if that was part of like his ultimate plan to uh deceive everybody because yeah. he didn't he didn't want to sway from his plan which is stupid because like he said that when he sold the building the new owners needed to have an inspection for insurance mm -hmm. so when the uh inspectors came in he had covered his half built bulldozer uh, with tarps and so when the inspectors came in they were like oh what's this and he made it he was so proud of himself for like making up this story or whatever and he's like and they didn't even look under the tarps if they had caught me at that point i wouldn't have gone through with anything god wanted me to do it i wasn't getting caught like i fooled them and i'm like well what in what world would they have to believe that you were doing something that was going to destroy I was Everything. gonna say nobody is nobody automatically goes into something unless it's like you and me and we see like plastic garbage bags by the side of the road and immediately you're like is that a dead body? Um, but the normal people <laughs> don't immediately like like that saying always goes when you hear hoofprints you think horses not zebras. Like, yeah, yeah. You're gonna see something under a tarp. You're not gonna think oh it's a weapon of mass destruction. Exactly. Yeah. Like. It's, that's not god that's just common sense yeah so there was that but anyway so himeyer transferred the money in fifty thousand dollar increments to his father who then dispersed that money to his brothers and sister uh which is what himeyer wanted mm -hmm. he requested his father do this i don't mm -hmm. i don't believe at all that his family knew what he was planning yeah, no. I think it doesn't seem that like it. I think that maybe he made up the story that he sold the property and like wanted to give back to his family in this way. Yeah, or so that's, like a fresh start or something like yeah. that. Like I mean, so, there's so many ways that you can go. Yeah. So the money was dispersed, and this plan comes into play when the people who were affected by Hemeyer's rampage needed to collect money for damages. It wasn't Hemeyer's money anymore. It was removed to him, willed by his father. So, like, when his father passed away, he willed that money to Hemeyer's siblings. Mm -hmm. So, 
Granby, Colorado can't come back and take that money from them because it wasn't Hemeyer's anymore. Ah, okay. So the people that were affected by this couldn't collect from Hemeyer because Hemeyer had no possessions and no money anymore. Okay. So this was part of the plan as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're going to get into the real shit. <laughs> the attack began around 3 p.m. on June 4th, 2004, when Hemeyer burst through the wall of his shop or the shop that he was renting from, mm. and set his sights on a couple of buildings close by, namely the Dochev's concrete plant. Dochev himself grabbed a handgun from one of his workers and shot at the tank to no avail. Again, it was steel, concrete, steel. So, mm. And then tank behind that, pretty much. Yeah. So there wasn't anything to get through. The plan was then to stop the treads of the, of the dozer. So they placed a large piece of angle iron in the way to try to get tangled up in the track, mm-hmm. but that didn't work either. Police came up on the scene when Dochef was attempting to stop the dozer with a front end loader, but couldn't lift it up because it was so heavy. Again, this is like a 12 foot tall bulldozer that has been outfitted with steel and concrete. Yeah. Like you're not lifting that for shit. No. Um, yeah, so it was too heavy. The loader did absolutely nothing. It was lifting up its, its own wheels, basically. It was going to, like, tip over. Around this time, Hemeyer started shooting his 50 caliber rifle. Uh, all of the rounds ended up in the bucket of Dochev's front loader, but had the angle of the, buck, the bucket been different or the gun been different, Dochev could have easily been hit. Oh, wow. Hemeyer continued his destruction of the concrete plant as more police came up on the scene. They were baffled as how to attack the dozer, which looked much more like a tank at this point. Mm -hmm. They decided to shoot at very small portholes on the side, but Hemeyer shot back and continued with his next name on the list. Mountain Park's electric was destroyed next. All the while, police attempted to stop the attack by climbing on top of the tank and throwing flashbangs down what looked like an exhaust vent, but it did nothing. As people started to become wise that it was Hemeyer in this tank and that he had a plan and kind of a motive. Mm -hmm. They called to evacuate the Granby town hall and the public library that was downstairs. Oh my God. Hemeyer came around the back of the town hall, destroying a children's playground and repeatedly slammed into the building. He then headed for sky high news where Patrick Brower worked. He had a beef with Patrick Brower that I didn't bring up earlier. That was like Brower said that he was going to feature Hemeyer's muffler shop in like a, like a little news article. And then Every time he went to the shop to like interview Hemeyer, he mm-hmm. wasn't there because he was out snowmobiling. But I think Hemeyer did as little work as possible to be able to afford doing the things he actually liked, which yeah. I don't blame him good for. Good for you. Yeah. Good for well, you. Not good, well, not good for specifically him, but like no. if that's your. Do if that. that's what you want to do, if you yeah. want to work as little as possible to enjoy as much life as you can absolutely you should be able to do that but then don't get mad at the person that's been trying to contact you and write something about you and then you don't you don't get back to them yeah. and he he was like this was another one he's like patrick brower's out to get me he's like he said he'd feature a small business and now he's not gonna do it and like he just he needed to think that everyone was after him yeah but anyway he went to go uh uh, knocked down Sky High News, which is where Pre- Patrick Brower worked. He knocked down the front of the building and then made his way around the side, all the while shooting at police. Oh my God. The Thompsons' home was the next target, specifically the home of Dick Thompson's 82-year-old widow, Thelma, who was asleep only 30 minutes before the house was leveled. Oh, fucking leave her alone. Yeah, Dick Thompson was dead. Christ. Yeah. Once he was satisfied with that, he worked his way around the Thompson's land and all the buildings and the equipment that were on it. 
By this time, Granby was swarmed with police, news, helicopters, and townspeople as they watched the bulldozer head towards independent gas. Kemeyer started to shoot at the industrial-sized propane tanks. Oh, my God. Which were in very close proximity to a senior citizen home, a trailer <gasps> park, and many private residents within what could have been the blast area. God. Luckily, most of the rounds he shot off hit the armor of the tank itself. He didn't get the angle right between the armor and where the guns were pointed. Mm. And uh, had he been able to shoot the tanks, the damage and the loss of life could have been catastrophic. Jesus. A town scraper was then deployed that would like scrape the roads with the ice and everything. Right, right, right. Uh, they sent that out because it was one of the biggest fucking trucks that they yep. had. Yep. They sent that out to try to stop Hemeyer from getting back onto the highway, but he moved it aside like it was nothing. Yeah. He moved on to Gamble's, which was a hardware store owned by one of the board members. Mm -hmm. Around this time, the governor requested National Guard assistance with helicopters and anti-tank missiles. What, Those how long has this been going on now? The entire rampage was two hours and seven minutes. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um... Around this time, yeah, so he asked for anti-tank missiles, whatever. So yep. those measures ended up not being necessary because Hemeyer became wedged in the basement of the store. I guess he didn't know that there was a basement at this hardware store. So when he went to go knock it down, half the treads got stuck in what the basement would have been, and half the treads were up on the other side. So he couldn't move anymore. God's plan. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> Grounds crews got ready for a gunfight, but shortly after, they heard a single gunshot from the dozer and it went quiet yeah you knew they set off two huge explosive rounds attempting to gain access to the inside of the dozer but they barely even dented the thing <gasps> oh my ultimately God. police had to climb on top use a cutting torch around the air conditioning unit to get into the interior and once they got inside in the early morning hours of june 5th Hemeyer was dead inside from a self-inflicted gunshot wound mm. so by the time he was finished like i said around two hours and seven minutes after he started Hemeyer had demolished 13 buildings, including the town hall and the library within it, the police station, the home of the ex-mayor, a bank, numerous vehicles, the newspaper where Brower worked, and the local hardware store. The total damage caused was reportedly around $7 million. Holy shit. Yes. Despite the name Killdozer, no one was killed during the rampage, but Brower doesn't believe that that was the goal. He said, quote, the idea somehow that Marv didn't want to hurt anybody is absolutely absurd. He just failed. End quote, yeah. which I think would have skeeved him even more to have somebody say that he failed at something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after the dust settled, authorities searched Hemeyer's home and found notes and the hours worth of audio tapes that outlined his motives. They also learned that several men who had visited Hemeyer's shop, like I said, didn't notice the killdozer, which encouraged Hemeyer to move forward with his plan. As for Marvin Hemeyer's killdozer itself, state officials decided to take it apart and sell it for scrap. They sent the pieces to dozens of scrapyards to stop admirers of Hemeyer from snatching the pieces as soon as it became clear that the killdozer was going to be the subject of fascination. Mm -hmm. They didn't want it to become like memorabilia for anybody. Yeah, which is totally un like good. You should like valid. Yeah, there's an entire subsection of this that I didn't even put in the outline because I don't think these people are worth the time, mm -hmm. but they view Hemeyer as kind of like a folk hero God that like it. he was taking down the establishment and blah, blah, blah. I'll get to like a little bit of that a little later, but he's a piece of human trash. So there's say. no fucking way. Yeah. There's um, always one though, but there's actually like, like I said, there's a couple movies and stuff that are based on this uh, case, which is surprising because it was from 2004. Not yeah. Like, 
insanely long ago. Um, but there's a movie called Leviathan that is actually a Russian film. Okay. It came out in 2014 with a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, 80% audience score, 74% on Google, and a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And one of the actors in it is uh, Alexei Serbrykov. Okay. Uh, he was in that Bob Odenkirk movie, Nobody. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> uh, the synopsis is, quote, a Russian fisherman gets... Uh, fights back when a corrupt mayor tries to seize possession of his ancestral home. Uh, and the critics' consensus is, quote, Leviathan lives up to its title, offering trenchant, well-crafted social satire on a suitably grand scale, end mm. quote. Uh, the director wanted to screen Marvin Heemeyer's story and intended to make the film in the U.S., but, um, uh, but then he read a novella called Michael Kolhas, uh, by German author Heinrich von Kleist, which was based on a 16th century chronicle that had a similar plot. Hmm. At the time, he realized that it was a quote-unquote timeless plot close to the Book of Job oh. and decided that the film should be made in Russia. The first draft of the script was ready in December 2010, and the final film uh, is kind of deviates from Heemeyer's story, but the original intention uh, was something closer to his story Mm -hmm. but it's actually this movie is actually the official submission of russia for the best foreign language film uh at the 87th academy awards in 2015 oh wow and like a lot of movies we talk about it's included in the 1001 movies you should see before you die Mm -hmm. edited by steven schneider seems to be a lot of horror movies on that list yeah cool uh, you can watch it apparently on apple prime apple tv youtube and voodoo but all the paid services you can't watch it for free anywhere apple prime you say amazon prime <laughs> I, you know what i wrote amazon prime and then apple tv is next to it so i fucked up that's okay i'm Haley, so you know what we're, we're all Perf. in a state apple prime <laughs> uh it's what it's going to become eventually whatever um <laughs> the next one that I've referenced multiple times is the documentary called tread, which came out in 2020. It has a 90% on rotten tomatoes, 86% audience score, 79% Google score and 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. And the synopsis is quote, pushed to his breaking point, a master welder quietly fortifies a bulldozer and systematically destroys numerous businesses and homes in the small town of Granby, Colorado End quote. You can watch it for free on Pluto TV, Roku TV, YouTube, and Tubi. It's also on Netflix, although I I rewatched it for this mm-hmm. uh, for this episode. Yeah. And uh, I did say that the last day that it's going to be on Netflix is July 28th. So if oh. you have Netflix and you want to see it, uh, do so in the next week, I think it is. Um, it's also apparently on Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, and Apple TV. Okay. Um. There are several songs based on Marvin Heemeyer, and as oh. you can expect, they are probably mostly death metal. <laughs> There's a couple of like instrumental ones, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of them have uh, different variations of the Ballad of Marvin Heemeyer, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the songs by the Shorebirds. There's the Ballad of Marvin Heemeyer by Dr. Clyde, the Ballad of Marvin Heemeyer by Immortal Sin. A Man and His Killdozer, the Battle of Marvin, the Ballad of Marvin Heemeyer by the Atomic Squirrels, which is a fantastic name. That's a great name. 
The Day of Marvin Heemeyer by Who Dies in Serbian Slush, another fantastic name. Mm -hmm. Marvin Heemeyer, uh, which is an, an instrumental by Reserve de Marquis, Marchi. Okay. Um, My Name is Marvin Heemeyer by Austin Wintory, which I think is another instrumental. Uh, another great name, Blooded, Blooded the Brave, which sounds like a um, D&D character, <laughs> uh, has Marvin Heemeyer Warning. Fun. Mm -hmm. The Tale of Marvin Heemeyer by Red-Eyed Hyena. Mm -hmm. Marvin Heemeyer, in all caps, by Take Heed Matey, which might be a shanty, which is yeah. fun. I didn't listen to it, but whatever. <laughs> Marvin John Heemeyer by Putrefication, which I'm sure that Damn. you can hear every lyric in that song. And Marvin's Tale by Kevin Marvell. There's more, but it was just like a lot. Um, there are also two books. The one that I referenced the most um, by Patrick Brower is Killdozer, the true story of the Colorado Bulldozer Rampage. Patrick Brower obviously was an eyewitness to this uh, bulldozer rampage, and he was um, possibly, he was one of the people mentioned on the tapes. I don't know if he was like a target, but his business was a target, or mm -hmm. the place where he worked was a target. Um, the book has a 3.4 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 4.3 out of 5 on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then there's another book called Malice, The Rage and Revelation of Marvin Heemeyer by Liam Llewellyn uh, from 2018. It has a 3.5 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 4.5 um, out of 5 on Amazon. And there is another movie that is called Killdozer that is not about this. I think it was like it's like an older movie that I think people got the name like they took the name Killdozer to reference this mm -hmm. uh, from that movie. Okay. So if you if you're searching Killdozer and that movie comes up, it is not about this case. It is about like a like Stephen King level like evil bulldozer. Okay. Like supernatural shit. Like like that tire movie, but with bulldozers. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly that. <laughs> um go ahead there's also merch uh people who like marvin heemeyer as something of a hero um sell merch with his images and images of the killdozer accompanied by phrases like tread on them mm -hmm. and a quote from heemeyer's manifesto tapes uh quote sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things end quote oh boy yeah, so if you look on like Redbubble or like Zazzle or one of those sites, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of Killdozer merch. That's that and the songs like always kind of bother me because yeah, especially like for somebody who's such an egomaniac, like that's exactly what he would have wanted, and it's yeah. just like let's not like this man wanted to kill people. This man caused people to lose their homes people like, to lose as their far, livelihoods as far as i heard in the tapes he never specifically says this person is going to die i'm going to kill this person no he does specifically say that like they're gonna get what's coming to them and like other really nefarious Ominous. things yeah yeah uh, but doesn't specifically say he's gonna kill anybody but that doesn't mean he didn't want to yeah I'm not saying that um, there's also something, my last point is, um, people celebrate June 4th as Killdozer Day. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. 
According to the folk hero version of Killdozer Day, Hemeyer only attacked buildings, not people, owned by those who had done him wrong and made an effort not to harm any of the town's general population or property. No, he didn't. Although, yeah, although it's true that nobody other than Hemeyer died during the incident, it wasn't from a lack of trying. Yeah. The sheriff's department argued that the town was lucky that nobody was killed, considering that 11 of the 13 buildings were occupied moments before they were destroyed. Yeah. He ran down a playground for fuck's sake. He ran over a playground and they were having like, like a story time library hour yeah. at the library that he was at. Like if they didn't, if they hadn't called Mm-hmm. All of these places and been like, well, we know he has beef with X, Y, Z. Let's clear those places out. If yeah. they hadn't done that, then how many people would have died? He, w- he wasn't going to wait until people left. No. Before knocking these buildings down. He, he, no. Like you had said before, the way his guns were positioned, like if, if the things that he hit were not where they were, he would have killed people that way. And he tried to shoot out propane tanks. Yeah. Do you think like, he was doing that for, like, fun? Yeah. Do you think he didn't know that they would explode? Do you not know that they would explode? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just... Anyway, so Brower says, quote, It's the predominant narrative that Marv was screwed by his small town board that was out to get him, that the local community was out to get him. People get focused on this, that Marv was victimized by the town. But the idea somehow that Granby was sophisticated enough to launch a campaign to go out and get Marv really defies Mm. my imagination, Mm. end quote. Like, I have been in situations at my job where people have come in and I've had to deny something. Mm -hmm. And then they come in and reapply and there's still stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when they finally get everything and they get inspections, something is wrong. And it does seem like some people just have, like, shit luck with some of this. But that does not excuse you of trying to fucking knock down half the town. Though, that being said, I think it is best that we put you in a bubble. Yeah. I have already decided that um, if anybody came into my office, I'm fucking out the window that is, like, behind my desk. Because there's no fucking way I'm dying for my stupid job. Whatever. No one should have to die for their job. That's, yeah. that's the dumbest thing in the entire world. The people that employ you don't care. Um, the real story of the rampage is this. Marvin Hemeyer built a tank and destroyed 13 buildings, including a library, which was occupied by children moments before the walls came down and the home of an 82-year-old widow, mm-hmm. simply because he lost a zoning dispute. Yeah. He endangered the lives of police officers, destroyed several emergency vehicles, and could have set, killed killed several innocent civilians if it wasn't for the evacuation of buildings before they were destroyed. He was armed with several weapons, attempted to shoot at least one civilian, and fired several shots at propane tanks in an attempt to create an explosion. Hemeyer spent more than a year building his killdozer and planning his attack on the town of Granby as an act he felt was in accordance with God's will. Right. That is what happened. Yeah. He had an entire year seething in anger building this thing that anybody any rational sane level-headed person at some point in that year could have been like you know what this is a bit extreme but he didn't do that yeah so he is not a folk hero he is not fight against the establishment like yeah show him no he was just unwilling to 
bend or uh, ingratiate himself at any point. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get what you want, and sometimes you need to comply with the order because sometimes you need to tie into the fucking sewer and water. Yeah. And you, and you don't get to decide what your neighbors do with their property sometimes. Yeah. It's... It's... I just... I don't... I don't know. He's a huge piece of shit. There's yeah, other ways... that's really what it comes down to. There's other ways that you can uh, fight a zoning thing. Or, you know what? Move. You could move. Mm-hmm. He didn't live in Granby. He lived in a town that was nearby. Like... Yeah. Close your close your shop down, open one up somewhere else. How about that? If you're yeah. that angry. It's not that hard. Yeah. And if you're that angry and that motivated and land only costs $42,000 for two acres, then you know what? You probably could have had another opportunity elsewhere. But yeah. that's just, you know, my opinion. And with that, that's the end of our episode. That's it. That's all she wrote. That is all. Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, You can find us on our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. We also have an email that you can shoot us a message at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can go to the link in any of those places to find the links to every other one of those places. We have a Patreon that you can join for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. You get different rewards at different levels. Our next episode is a Patreon poll pick. Yeah. So if you want to have a say in what we talk about once a month, then you can join our Patreon. Check out the details there. Um, And I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm real. With you. Yeah. Love you, mean it. Love you, mean it. Take it back.